Welcome to Section 9, where we talk about IT and information security. I'm Damian Hall. And I'm Dorothy. And today we're going to be talking about how we connected Jitbit to Microsoft 365. And also, you took a webinar with uh, Black Hills Information Security on how to be a SOC analyst. And that was really interesting. I'd love to hear about that. So, But let's uh, begin with the things we found out while trying to connect Jitbit to Microsoft 365. So explain what we were trying to do and why and then what happened? So a lot of, uh, well, I should say most, if not all, help desk systems or ticket systems have a way to create tickets by email. So there's going to be a specific email address. You send your email to that, and then the system will create a ticket. Now, Jitbit provides us with one, but it's a it's at jitbit.com. So it's not a section 9.us email account. And what I want is to be able to send email to support at section9.us and then have a ticket created within Jitbit. And so trying to get the two connected was a bit confusing. So what we ended up doing is having to get a license for the specific email address, in this case, support at section9.us, and then connecting that to Jitbit. Now, figuring out how to do that in 365 was kind of confusing because what, what we ended up having to do, or thinking about it at least, is... If you go into 365 and you look at the basic licensing that's available, you have things like business premium, which is what we have for ourselves. You have business basic, but we don't want any of those because those come with office applications like Word, Excel. Well, this account doesn't need that because it's just going to be for the email. So we had to do a whole bunch of searching. It was a big pain, and and we're going to talk about that in a minute here, but what we ended up doing is getting a Exchange Online Plan 1 license, which took us forever to figure out how to get that. Well, and that was the hard part because you had assigned me to look and see how many licenses can we get, you know, with Microsoft 365, you know, what kind, what types of licenses and how many. I came up with about six of them, you know, when I researched for that. And, you know, I, I went to this uh, part of it and it had for business, it had like three different options and Again, it had the apps. It was the, you know, um, whatever you could get in business and they have like different things that that came with it. And then the home one, it was the same thing, you know, just for home users. And then you did different kind of research that took you forever because you looked into everything under the sun and you came up, you you kept saying to me, there's way more than that. Why why can't you find them? And I was like, so finally we ended up going to into our account right? And we had to look into licenses. And at that point, it showed uh, just a bunch of it. There were some enterprise ones, you know, there were some exchange, there were just a boatload of them that were mentioned in one of the documents as listing, but, you know, it, it wasn't really clear what that was about. So here's what, what, what we found out. When we do a Google search for licenses, all you really find is the basics, right? Like business premium, business basic, there's stuff for home, but it doesn't talk about things like exchange online plan one. Where does that live? So for me, uh, you know, if I'm going to engineer something with 365, how do I do that without knowing what the different licensing types are? I want to see them all. So what I was trying to find is a list of all of the 365 licensing types. What's available to me? And why is it I can't find a document from Microsoft that says, here are the 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 different licenses you can get with 365? 
Because if you look at business premium or business basic or the ones for home, that's not all they have. So when you go into your uh, admin center, and I think you go into, like you said, billing or something along those lines, there's a place where you can buy services. And you can look at all the different services. And some stuff is buried. You have to click on other links, maybe do some searches. But there are all these different licensing options. There's even stuff in there for things that we probably would never use for things like project management. Visio, they had all sorts of different things. But where is the Microsoft document that tells you that these things exist? Because how are you going to do planning without that? The thing is, when I was looking, you know, into the licensing document, they had a list of some of the ones that were in there, but they didn't have all of them. And also what was really confusing to me, and, and this is the difference between, you know, when you're looking at doing a project like this. And again, I always related to if I had a job uh, doing IT and I would have to justify to my boss why I'm costing him 16 extra dollars a month just to get a user with an email address that doesn't need the apps, you know, and, and, and it has a full business premium license, you know, because I don't know where this whole thing is situated or that is even offered, you know, that that's really for me is like super scary. Like you, you spend a whole day digging because that's, you know, that is one of the things that I admire about you, that you find out things that I'm like, I would have never gone down that route or I, I would have never known. So, you know, going into this, we both went in without any Microsoft 365 experience. Obviously, with your IT experience, you were able to find out the right answer. But for someone like me, you know, it was all an uphill. And thank God that you were able to show me because the next time that I embark into a project, you know, I, I mean, I can make an attempt at, at, at trying to come up with a, a process that will work, but you just can't plan for everything. And you you are not going to know to ask every question that you need to ask. Yeah. So some of the things that you're going to find in 365 are buried. Mm -hmm. You know, there are features that maybe you don't know about and you don't know that they're there because you've never seen them before. And you don't know to ask about that. So in this project of trying to create an email address to get Jitbit connected and have people be able to send tickets into the system using support at section9.us, which is the email address that we're going to be using for that, that's connected now. But we had issues with the licensing. And then once we figured out the licensing issue, which of course is buried or defined, once we got that taken care of, then we run into other issues here. Because now I have to deal with the fact that parts of Microsoft 365 are multi-factor. So if it's multi-factor, how do I get Jitbit to, to authenticate to 365? So Jitbit is broken down into a couple of things. There is the receiving side of things. And so there's a button that you click on within the Jitbit configuration that says 365. You click it, you add in the right information, it connects, and, and you're good to go. But that's only for receiving the email. So if I send an email to support at section9.us, a ticket will be created. Now what has to happen is Jitbit needs to be able to notify the, the person creating the ticket, notify the admins. And what I want to have happen is for support at section9.us to be the from address that Jitbit sends the email as. So here's where things get a little confusing. 
the incoming is already configured. Now what I have to do is configure the outgoing email configuration, the sending part. So Jitbit has its own email server, and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to use that. What I want to use is the 365 configuration. And unfortunately, 365 would not allow me to do that. It wouldn't work. Give me an error message. And that's when I found out that within Azure AD, in that sort of admin center, you can go and look at the logs, and you can clearly see where people are logging in. You can see successes. You can see failures. You get more information about why it failed. And in this case, it just wasn't allowing that third-party application to connect because it didn't recognize what was going on there. For whatever reason, there is a policy or some sort of setting that, that I really don't fully understand that prevented Jitbit from sending or connecting to the system and sending the email. Like it wouldn't authenticate properly. So when you look at the logs, it says failed login, failed login, failed login. So now at this point, I'm like, well, what do I do now that I can't send it in? So I go to look at the Jitbit documentation. And fortunately, way down at the bottom, it has something about sending email and fixing this sort of spam issue. So one thing you have to think about when you're sending email uh, or managing email is what happens to spam and how do things get marked as spam? So I'm not going to go into all the details, but there is this thing called an SPF record. And in that text record or that SPF record, you can put in some things in there that help the system understand that this is supposed to be the correct email from address or, or do not mark this as spam, it's correct. And there's some, some things that we'll have to go into you and I to better understand how this works because if somebody else tries to send an email as support at section9.us or use our domain name, this, is, this sort of system is in place to sort of prevent them from looking legit. It's going to be marked as spam because it's coming from a location a that's not correct. different IP address maybe or, or how not, is it looking at that? It's not correct. You're on the right track. It's not an official email server for section9.us. Okay. And so everybody else is going to see that and they're going to go, oh, well, that's spam because it doesn't have the correct information in the headers. We're not going to accept that. We're going to put that in the junk folder and we'll move on with our day. Got it. So in this case, what will happen is if we use the Jitbit email server to send email from anything at section9.us, it's going to go into the junk folder. It's going to be marked as spam. So I had to go in there and create an SPF record for this and say all the emails coming from Jitbit are going to be accepted, right? They're, they're okay to be part of that Section 9 domain, right? So when Jitbit sends email as support at section9.us, it shouldn't end up in your spam folder because it should be, you know, the, the email systems are going to do a double check and verify. They're going to see that SPF record in there. They're going to see that it's okay to have this, and it won't be in the junk mail. So that's kind of how that system works. Multi-part thing in there. And if people are confused, well, join the club because you and I are confused. You know, and I've been in IT for a while. I've managed some of these things before and I'm confused. So, you know, in doing these kinds of things within 365, if we can sort of summarize what happened here. There's a lot of things that are hidden that we didn't know about, like licensing. Things that uh, I didn't even know existed, like uh, the um, logging for for authentication. I didn't know where that was. I didn't know that was a thing. 
And then just having to manage these multiple things where you have user account management, licensing, email, Jitbit, and, you know, all these different things that we're having to do around 365 and some of the other services that we have, it's making me realize that for some of the projects that you and I want to do or things that we have to do because of, of operational things, like we have to do maintenance or we have to manage certain aspects of it, licensing, paying the bill, even that has become a challenge that the taking on 365 along with some of the other things that we're doing that's going to be a bit of a, a, a challenge It's a huge for us. task. Yeah. And not only that, I mean, for me, the biggest thing that that was illuminated was the fact that um, us not knowing would have been the difference between paying $20 a month for just that user to four. And, you know, because the, the thing for just the email alone was like $4, that plan one that you were talking about. So... <sighs> You know, IT is is a tough world. It really is, because you know having to justify all of this to your employer and and you know if you cost them money, you lose your job. Yeah, and I think about those things. I know you you're more involved in the technical thing, but one thing I wanted to ask that I think um, was my flaw is when you gave me the homework of saying, explain to me what kind of license I need just to have an email address trying to figure out how to come up with an answer, I, I just felt like I failed because when I Googled it and I only got those, I thought, oh, okay, I did my job. I, I would have not known what was hidden and I didn't make the connection when I looked at that list and licensing because it was so vaguely referenced to. And that is something that you and I had to sit down and talk about because because I, I, you know, I had done this project before we were talking about this and I wanted you to go through your homework and do searching. And there was a part of me that was hoping that maybe by accident you would find the right answer and we would both be happy, but you didn't find anything. You were, you were in the same situation I was. Google this, Google that, Google this, Google that. And what do we find? The same information over and over again. There's a few business licenses that you can get for 365. There's home licenses that you can get for 365. But nowhere in there does it talk about the exchange online license plans. And so that's when you and I had to sit down and sort of reevaluate the situation. And so I told you that this is, this is something that does actually happen in IT when you're working with a vendor that does you know, enterprise level stuff. Sometimes there are things that they present to you, you know, it's, it's just right there, right? It's on their homepage. You can find it easily. Like the, the business premium licensing, you know what that is. You can compare that to others. But then there are going to be those things that aren't talked about. They're not upfront. They're hidden. You have to go in there and find them. You have to ask other people questions about them. So could you go to the vendor and say, hey, um, I need to know, do I need a, a you know, I, I, I want to give this user an email address, but I have no need for this user to use the apps, uh, what kind of licensing is available and would they know? They would be able to tell you that. So sometimes, sometimes what you're saying is, is the exact, is it's the right answer. It's what you should be doing. And so in this case, I didn't do that, but I could have, right? And so the next question we have to ask ourselves is, how do we contact Microsoft support? How do we use that? 
Because actually, at this point, I don't know. I, I think there's a way you can email them, but I don't know what email address you would use for that. So there are some things that we can do to help us in the future by just asking Microsoft. And we'll have to get to that and have a process for that. But one of the things that we decided as we were talking about this and experiencing this issue is that we need to give ourselves enough time to read all the documentation and to be able to search for these kinds of things. Because reading the documentation is going to take, a, take us a while. You have to look at the details. You understand to to, how they apply and, and, and how they affect the whole process. Just the understanding alone is, is very intimidating for me. And, and so all of this is going to take time. And so when we plan our projects, we have to make sure that there is enough time allocated to the project to cover things like, I need to read this documentation. It's going to take me a couple of days to do that. I need to do some research. It's going to take me a couple of days to do that. And, and then I have to read it. Right. right. Well, one of the things that I've learned from this that I, I'm just going to keep in mind next time we do any project and we're coming up with a process is I think the important thing was the specificity, specificity, did I say it right, of your question. I think we need to be really specific of what we want a specific feature to do. Like I want a user that has a license for email only, don't need the apps kind of thing. Because I think that perhaps if if we can look at, at something that specific, it may cut down on the amount of research um, or maybe we should, you know, we, we could do the research more narrow or, or find a better way to find the answer instead of spending a day and a half trying to come up with the right answer. You know what I mean? Uh, you can try that, but but I can tell you having been in IT for over 10 years, that that's a good thing to try, yeah. but sometimes it doesn't work. No, and, I, and I'm not saying that it's a foolproof answer. I'm just saying that, and, and, and I feel for the entire IT world because IT jobs are not easy to perform. Any, any time that you say to someone, oh yeah, you know, and, and they expect you to do it in a certain amount of time and they expect you to know everything, it's a vast field and nothing ever goes as planned. Yeah. Uh, so that's what's happening with our 365. We're running into these kinds of issues. And so we're realizing that it's going to just take us a lot longer to learn some of these things than we thought. But we're moving in the right direction because that is actually working. So tell us about the webinar that you went to. You seem really excited about it. So as you know, Black Hills Information Security does a lot of webinars. They're free. You can sign up for them. And then even if you don't sign up for them the day of and, and you're there for the live event, They'll record them and then post them later. So eventually this will be available later on and we will put a link in our show notes when that does happen. We'll let you know when that happens. But this one was about SOC analyst or how to be a SOC analyst and what kind of information you need to know for that. Now, if you're not familiar with Black Hills Information Security, they're a pen testing company. They're trying to build out their own SOC to provide that as a service. And these people, when it comes to security, are like the best of the best. The kinds of things that they do, others just don't even come close to. And and just to say, we're not affiliated with them. We are not getting anything from them. They're just good. Yeah, and when they do their pen tests, I mean, they're writing custom code, custom PowerShell scripting. They're getting around things like antivirus. I mean, they really do some amazing things. And when you see what kinds of things they're doing, for me anyway, it's like, how can anybody even come close to being able to do that. The amount of skill you have 
you right. have to have in order to do all of those things is just crazy. And the wide range of knowledge. I mean, it's like they know their networking as well as security better than anybody I've ever seen, you know. So in this webinar, they were giving you the necessary information you need to know in order to make it as a SOC analyst. So a SOC is a security operations center. And what they're trying to do here is explain what that means. Well, you know, what is a SOC analyst, kind of, sort of. And then what kind of information do you need to know to be able to survive in that? Like, how do you get a job being a SOC analyst? And what are you supposed to be doing as a SOC analyst? So in a security operations center, if you don't know what those are, what that, what that really means, you're basically there to monitor what's happening within the organization. And all of the logs and and information that the that the organization is collecting from servers, workstations, network equipment, that is going to be funneled into the SOC. And what you're going to see here is things like seam solutions, uh, log analysis. So basically, you're going to have tools that help you sift through all this information that comes in, and then you have to be able to analyze that information and do something with it. So if something bad is happening, you have to identify the bad and then be able to do something with that. And uh, the the interesting thing here is that they sort of gave me this, this validation that the direction we're taking our show, the direction we're taking Section 9, the things that we do, the things we're learning, is actually the right way to do this. And what I mean by that is that uh, people oftentimes jump to the cool thing, right? Let's do packet analysis. Let's do, let's do pen testing. Pen testing. Mm-hmm. Let's do. I think one of the things that they were talking about there is is uh, uh, malware analysis, right? So, so John Strands is the guy that was doing the presentation. He kind of runs the show, and he's super good at what he does. And he says oftentimes people will do that. They'll want to do the pen test, the uh, the malware analysis, the you know. And that's, that's okay, you can do that. But he says, oftentimes what's missing is the basics. Right. Like you didn't do your homework for everything else. And so all the, the basic things that happens within a SOC, the things you should be doing, monitoring your alerts, you know, looking at the logs, understanding what's happening, people don't do that. And so that part of it gets left out. And so when alerts happen, when bad things are happening, the SOC analyst doesn't know what to make of all of this, doesn't know something bad's happening, doesn't know what to do. And so when it comes to being a true sock and having an effective team that can actually respond to things, you don't have that. And so the hackers are going to get in because you're not paying attention to what you should be paying attention to. You're focused on that, that malware analysis and not the alerts that are happening, not the data that's coming in. You can't analyze any of that because you don't have the right skills. And so what he was talking about is learn the basics, understand what all these alerts are, understand what security really is, understand how to secure a system. So this is what he says. He says, you know, when when they go out and do a pen test for an organization, sometimes what will happen is there'll be a new application the customer has. And the customer wants to know, how can I secure this thing? And so what, what he will do is he will get the documentation. And this goes right back to what we did for 365. The documentation could be 600 pages. What does he do? He reads the whole thing. And so when he goes back to the customer, he says, oh, well, this is how you secure that. And the customer will be like, how did you find that? We couldn't find that anywhere. And he says, well, I read the documentation. It's in there, page such and such. 
talks about the passwords and the security and the whatever. So that's kind of what we do here at Section 9. We're trying to take the time necessary to understand like 365, how to do things with Windows 10, how to manage IT in general. And then when it comes to security, what are we doing? Best practice with things like the critical security controls. And and one thing that he he said that I thought was kind of interesting, he said, if you really want to know how to secure different systems, let's say you want to secure Linux or you want to secure Windows 10 or maybe Server 2019, you can do that by going to the critical security or the uh, infra, uh, uh, Center for Internet Security and they have their benchmarks, which we've talked about before. And, and this is what he said. He says, read them. Pick one, read it cover to cover. So if you're in, in a situation where you manage Windows 10, you go to uh, the benchmark for Windows 10 and you read the whole entire thing. And he says, it's not going to be super exciting exciting and wowing boring. and all of that. Maybe it's boring. <laughs> yeah. It's dry. But if you read all of that, the cool thing about the benchmarks is that they have a lot of things in there. And they tell you why you would implement that. They have reasons for why you would do that. And for some of them, I know this because I've looked at some of them, they will tell you what kind of an effect it's going to have on the system and whether or not you need to be careful implementing that. So that was a huge, huge validation for me because one of the things that I've been worried about lately is whether or not we're moving in the right direction. Are we learning the right things? Are we talking about the right things? Are we thinking the right way? Are we sharing the right things on our show? Because one of the things that that I'm kind of concerned about is that maybe what we talk about isn't relevant, that it's not helping, that that you know we're kind of moving people in the wrong direction because we're sharing this as if you know we know what we're talking about. And to hear somebody like John Strands from Black Hills Information Security say, read the manual, look at what the Center for Internet Security is doing with their benchmarks. That was a huge step for me because it's like validation that... Well, yeah, I mean, think about it. If you are trying to get somebody to tell you or or to see if your network is secure, but let's say you don't have your logs turned on, you know, like the basis, basics of security, like he was saying, they don't have that information, they're not going to know. If you can't see the evil, remember the the last webinar we took with with them as well. Um, you know, and I think it is important in, in it takes a long time to actually go through that. But what I really liked about uh, him saying, read the benchmark is, and is this a question I have for you? So when you're looking at securing, let's say your network, since we're working on this projects, do you read the whole benchmark and then go back and look at your network and go, is this in place? Is, is that the first thing that you do? What he's trying to get out there is that people don't understand how systems work. So I'll use Windows 10 as an example. And, and he pointed out some different things about different systems. And one of the things that, that he was talking about is these false positives where the system says something's wrong, um, you need to go take a look at this. And people go look at that and they realize, well, but that's not anything that we need to pay attention to. And he says, you, you know, people call that a false positive. And he says, it's really not a false positive. And, and in the way he looks at some of these things is that there's no such thing as a false positive. What it's picking up on 
are things that the system is supposed to be doing. So take Windows 10 as an example. There are things happening within Windows 10 or things happening within Server 2019 that are supposed to happen. It's the way the system works. But if your if your if your alert system or your seam solution or your logging solution isn't configured properly, you don't tune it the right way, then it's going to see these things and send you an alert. Because, because it's what it's supposed to do. It's, it's what it's supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And those things are actually happening. It's just that you haven't tuned the system to ignore some of that because those are normal things that the system's doing. And it's not a false positive. It's that you haven't tuned the system to take those things into consideration. And so what's happening is people are sort of freaking out about that, not paying attention to the alerts, not paying attention to the logs, and, and they're falsely claiming that that's a false positive when they really need to do their homework and understand how does Windows 10 work? How does Server 2019 work? What are some of the logs it's going to generate? Do we want to see those? If not, because they're normal things that happen all the time, let's tune our logging system. Let's tune our seam solution. Let's tune our alerts so that we don't get those. And, and we get the ones that are more important to us that are indications of something really bad happening. Right. So that's kind of interesting there that, that, you know, it basically comes down to learning more about your systems. And what we're trying to do with 365 is learn more about 365 and understand how that works so that we can use that better than most. Because I think a lot of people out there in IT are not understanding 365. They're not doing the homework. They're not reading the documentation. Read the manual and understand it better so that when you go to engineer something, you know what to do with that. Or if you want to do 365 security, you know, hey, there's logs there. There's multi-factor authentication. And uh, by the way, there is a benchmark for 365 security. Oh, nice. So we're going to have to read that cover to cover and see what's in there and then begin to understand what kind of security we want to implement for ourselves. And I think that we're going to be further along the path to a better understanding of 365 than most because there's a lot of people in IT who look at that and go, that's too much work. I don't want to read that. But the thing is, the difference between someone good in IT and someone mediocre or maybe not so good is the fact that they may be willing to read the benchmark. Because if you really think about it, um, there, there is a lot of things in IT that are tedious and boring and dry and really difficult to read. But those, some of those things are the most essential ones that you can have, um, you know, as a tool. So, yeah, I mean, while I'm dreading having to read it because I, I have to wonder how much I will understand of it, I am kind of looking forward, especially, you know, um, with this validation feeling that you're having. And I don't think you really, I, I mean, I know you, you and I both take a big responsibility on we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to um, make people go into a wrong path. Uh, but I don't think that's what we are doing. I think we're sharing our learning path and whatever people can get from it, you know, that is a benefit to them. Is It's it's a good thing. We just don't want to be irresponsible in our sharing of what we do. And then having something like this validate that we're on the right track is big. And I understand why you're feeling that way. Yeah, and so to sort of summarize here, when they release this particular uh, webinar, uh, we will let everybody know, and 
And the other thing that I also want to point out about this particular webinar that was really cool is they talked about some of the tools they use, like Security Onion for the home lab is great. You may even be able to use Security Onion in a professional environment because they keep talking about things like Security Onion being able to do things that commercial applications just can't do. And that's kind of interesting. And so we're going to be uh, trying to find a way to get Security Onion into our lab, how to use it, how to do some of the things that we want to do inside of that, learning more about it. Uh, and then the other thing that they talked about, which I signed up for, is they're doing a class on uh, being a SOC analyst and teaching people how to do some of the things they were talking about in this particular webinar. How do you use things like Security Onion? What are some of the other tools that are available to us as, as people who want to learn at home and practice and get some of the skills necessary so that when we go to apply for that SOC uh, job, we have some experience. We can tell people, yes, I've done that before, not with your particular tool, but I have done that and I understand how that works. Because even for me, even with all my years of experience, SOC analyst is outside of what you would normally do in, in general IT. So I don't necessarily have the right skills to be a SOC analyst. I just don't have them. And that, you know, having listened to this webinar makes me a bit, like I kind of understand why in the past when I applied for what was essentially a SOC analyst position, I didn't get them. Nobody called me back. Because on my resume, there's nothing about SOC analyst anywhere in there. So if I can put down that I've used Security Onion and some of these other tools, maybe I will have a better chance of becoming a SOC analyst in the future. But let's talk about the things you just mentioned where we feel more validated by this particular uh, presentation and they're talking about things that we're actually doing. So what I want to ask our listeners is, what are your thoughts about how we're doing? And, and just in general, how are we doing? Are we talking about the right things? Is it interesting? Is the stuff that we talk about helping you? Are there topics that you think we should be covering that we're not? And now you can actually send us an email at support at section9.us and that will end up in our ticket system because we have that configured. So I think that's it for now. Um, again, if you have any comments or questions, you can go to our website and use the, the form to contact us or you can just send us an email at support at section9.us. If you want to take a look at our show notes, you can also go to our website, section9.us. And thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. 